It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's hot time. We had a hot time. Together. Together. Yes, it's hot time. We had a hot time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and cannabis lifestyle guide. There's been buzz in my bubbles recently about Murder Mountain, now streaming on Netflix. Murder Mountain is a six-part documentary by Fusion. The series paints Humboldt County as a beautiful but dangerous place where people go missing with alarming regularity. Murder Mountain explores Humboldt's cannabis farms, both legal and illegal, and provides a glimpse into what it takes for an outlaw farmer to cross over to the legal market. I mean, it's a good show, but it only told a part of the cultural story of cannabis farming in Humboldt. My guests on today's podcast represent a very different side of the Humboldt cannabis culture that's near and dear to my heart. John Casali is a second-generation cannabis grower from Southern Humboldt. His lifelong friend, Trell Messenger, is a third-generation cannabis farmer. I invited them both into the studio to share a few stories about life on the farm. There is over 130 years of heritage in my own family's Texas ranching operation, so I have a soft spot for family farming and the evolution of a family in business. There are always difficult decisions and sacrifices, and of course, the world never stops changing, which means the challenges keep evolving too. And the stakes are even higher because it's not just you, it's the whole family. John and Trell represent the heart and soul of the Humboldt cannabis culture, and their road to legalization was life-changing. Listen to their remarkable stories and get inspired to know where your cannabis comes from and take action for marijuana law reform.
settle in. It's time to get casually baked. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke, but I better just take one. Toast. I'm excited to welcome into the studio today Johnny Casali and Trell Messenger. These two guys are what we women call BFFs for 45 years up in Humboldt County. And I just got through watching the Netflix original series, Murder Mountain, and it kind of scared a lot of people I know's face off saying they never want to come to the Emerald Triangle. So I brought these two amazing men in to tell a different story of Humboldt County and in growing and the history and and so welcome, guys. I look forward to hearing your stories today. Welcome. Thank you very much for having us. And uh, I'm very excited to share you know, our experience in Humboldt County and, and how it was growing up as a kid and how it is now for us. Yes. And I'd like to say thank you as well. It's been, uh, it's been an adventure for us. And it, we're from growing up there, early age to now, and amazing things are happening. All right. So tell me, what is your first experience of cannabis, the very first experience you can remember? You know, uh, for me, um, I've lived in the same house for 45 years. Uh, I lived with my mom and my stepdad, and my mom had always been a person that loved plants, whether or not it was growing plants in the vegetable garden as far as tomatoes and zucchini and and squash um, to growing cannabis. And so, you know, part of living in the country is, you know, dealing with chores and and taking care of the animals and taking care of the water systems. But it was also for me, it was taking care of the vegetable garden and taking care of the cannabis plants. So, you know, from the time as early as I can remember back when I was 10 years old, I used to help her do all those kind of things. And that included taking care of cannabis. Um, and just like she fell in love with growing plants, I also followed in her footsteps and, and I fell in love with growing all plants like she did. So, um, it was, it was pretty young age that, uh, I really found love for doing what, I, what I'm doing today. Right on. Trell, what about you? Well, my grandparents bought their farm, a 40-acre homestead, in 1977, and I was eight years old, and my earliest memory is my grandmother in a sundress, not a hippie, but, you know, <laughs> a little, little, little different than that, but in a sundress in her vegetable garden with corn and tomatoes, uh, strawberries, raspberries, and seeing these big purple colas sticking out of the rows of corn. And, uh, and I was curious what it was. I mean, it wasn't a vegetable, smelled different. Mm -hmm. And so I asked her and she saw it's cannabis. And, uh, that was my introduction to it. And I was always shadowing them around as a kid, just loving the ranch style, loving the apple trees, the pear trees, the walnut trees, the plum trees. And, uh, the deer that my grandpa used to shoot on the ranch and we'd have venison and it was, it, it was pretty self-sustainable. You know, we still went to the grocery store, but they did a lot of their own sourcing for food and they did a lot of their own sourcing for smoking the marijuana they liked. So how was it introduced to you? So obviously it was like, this is just another, you know, product, so to speak in the garden, but was there any conversation that you remember having as a child? Well, with my mom, it was, you know, I grew up uh, following around like from the time I was 10 and it was never looked at as something that was illegal or very harmful. It was always, you know, 
I was educated that was something that actually helped people and it would benefit people. And so, you know, throughout my life, throughout my, my teenage years, I never really looked at it as being something harmful. It was always something that was just part of the farm. It was just part of the vegetable garden. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was later in, in my teens that I eventually kind of figured it out and, you know, going to school, it wasn't something that we talked about all the time. It was more, you know, my parents are carpenters. And then I realized that all the parents were carpenters. So, you know, I started to figure it out as a kid then that, yeah. okay, well, maybe it's not legal, but it's also probably not harmful and it's not hurting anybody. Right. So you were both involved from a young age of, of growing and harvesting and all of that good stuff. Yes. Uh, like I said, eight years old, I started in. And so, so then, so kind of take me through, tell me, tell me a, a delicious story of cannabis farmers in Humboldt. Like what happened with your lives? Like how did this, how did it go down? Well, for me, uh, after seeing the big purple cola sticking out of the, out of the corn field uh, and helping water, they realized that, hey, this, this kid might have something. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I, Really Speaking of, do any do y'all need to smoke to loosen up? I normally do that, but I've had so many video issues today. I didn't even think about it. I've got all I've got some stuff from your friends in here. You know what? We brought some stuff down for you too, and also to share. Uh, I, I don't know if it's appropriate right now to be smoking. It might really just ruin the show. But okay, well, uh, I don't know. Uh, how, maybe don't later know, on. I don't know how people work here. We'll have a, then we'll have a celebratory smoke. Okay, because that sounds great. I like that because neither of us smoke on a regular basis. You know, I think the last time I smoked was maybe four or five months ago. But uh, See, I I, sm I smoke at night. That I think people need to know too about farmers. Not all farmers. Smoke their profits. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Well, I find it helpful to smoke at night. At the end of the day, you've had a hard day, long day. You want to relax a little bit. You know, I've got a strain that I really like that I grow myself. And Which one is your favorite sleepy strain? I like what we call superfruit. It's a strain that John and I came up with. It's got family genetics from his parents, my, grand my grandparents, and my parents' genetics that we combined years ago to make our own strain. And now we combine that with strains people recognize with now, like OG, mm -hmm. Skittles, yeah. cookies, and we've come up with our own proprietary strains that still have the old school Humboldt flavor, but uh -huh. yet with the new school strains people recognize with. Right on. That's fun. Yeah. So we're both kind of honoring our parents and our grandparents by kind of um, keeping the strain that they developed together. Both both my mom and, and his mom developed this strain and and. So like you said, we're crossing it with the more popular strains and, and in their honor, we're going to continue to grow it and market it and tell their story, which has become our story. And, uh, you know, it really resonates with the consumer. And I think it does matter a lot. The stories of Humboldt County and the Emerald Triangle matter a lot to the, uh, to the consumer. And uh, eventually they're going to figure out what we're about and why we're so special. And it, part of the reason too, it's generational here. I mean, I'm third generation, Johnny's second generation. And to bring that into our practices and share it with people and let them know that, you know, we're not new at this. This is something we've done our whole lives and learned from our parents. It's got their knowledge. So Yeah, my my dad is uh, I grew up on a, a cattle ranch in West Texas, and my dad is third generation rancher. And so now, you know, things are changing. He has all daughters. None of us want to be cattle ranchers. And so, you know, the business model is changing, but, you know, it's, it is something to honor when you have this 
bloodline and this land and and this heritage. And so tell me tell me what your story is because it the bits and pieces that I know are quite interesting and with with this big tractor cannabis, you know, on the horizon, you know, and me thinking about the day where people walk into a, you know, a 7-Eleven or a Walmart and they get a pack of smokes that are you know, that are cannabis cigarettes that nobody knows where the fuck their marijuana came from. You know, they just get this thing. And it's like, I always want to bring it back to like real farmers, real stories, because that's that's what it's all about. Like that's the juicy part of this industry and the part that doesn't need to get lost in in the boom of cannabis that's coming. And, and and I think you know I think you you make a really good point there, and, and that's really why Trell and I are here, and that's why it's so important for us to educate the public about what the Emerald Triangle is about, because I think we we risk at this time um, of losing what we have taken forty years to create and losing all those stories, and you know everybody's out there right now yelling, "We got the best, we got the best," but. You know, the, the real value isn't just in the product itself. It's it's about those stories. It's about how this whole industry came to be. And and if we don't open up and if we don't share the stories and, and the way we grew up, then then that is gonna get lost. So, you know, that that's that's really why we're here today, because we wanna share those stories. And we're not saying we have the only stories, but we want the the consumer, we want the um we want people to know you know, some of the stories and then they can pick and choose down the road here in a few years on, you know, what's real and what's not real. Just to have an understanding of where their medicine comes from. You know, there it's no different than going to a farmer's market because you know you're buying produce from someone who lives within driving radius of your town center, you know, versus you know, when I lived in Italy and I would be craving Mexican food and I would go to the market and you buy an avocado that's wrapped in cellophane that came from Peru that got picked probably two months before it was ready. And it just doesn't taste like anything. And so it was like it was the consistency of guacamole when I was finished with it, but it didn't taste like a real avocado. And so I I just have this vision of you know, cannabis slipping to that if we don't hang on to the heritage and, and let people share these stories. Well said. You know, if I went to a market and saw your your family's beef that said third generation on it, that'll be the first one I grab. Mm-hmm. That means a lot to me. You know, there's, there's a lot of knowledge passed down through those generations. And that's hopefully what we c- can convey in our stories. Yeah. So if someone sees our product on the shelf that says third generation, second generation, Humboldt growing, organic, you know, spring water fed, not mm-hmm. well water that they're having to change the pH levels on, you know, mm-hmm. just simple things. And if we could educate the consumer about that, then, you know, there could be a shift. Yeah, for sure. And it's, we, uh, Trell and I were both talking it on our way down here is that, um, you know, we're trying to figure out what makes us so special because we never really had to identify what makes us so special because we've, it's always been taken for granted. So, um, for us, you know, it's it's because we have smaller farms and we don't, you know, have a whole bunch of employees or anything like that. We develop a relationship with each and every plant and each and every plant needs something different. And 
So in being able, in, in touching every leaf and dealing with every plant ourselves, we're able to nurture that plant and give that plant what it specifically needs. And I think that's what really separates us from big ag and big ag's not going to be able to do it. It's, it's a, a liquid in a jug. You pour it here, here's all the systems and you stick it in a jar and that's it. But you know, we have a love for every plant we take care of and nurture every single plant. And that's just basic, the basic difference between big ag and us. On my farm, I have a way of controlling how much water goes on each plant and it's labor intensive, but some plants use more and some use less. And if you give the ones that use less more, you're going to have a sick plant. Right. So there's a lot, there's a a lot of little nuances that are little and a lot of people don't think about. That really, really matter. Yeah. Well, it's true. I mean, hell, if we always try to normalize things for people who, you know, don't really care about cannabis to the depth that the three of us do. But it's like, you know, I think about my teacher friends. It's like, okay, do you want 15 people in your classroom or do you want 100 kids in your classroom? There you go. You know. Great way to put it. (laughs) So tell me some of the... um, craziness that you've seen throughout um, your lives of being in cannabis and kind of living through prohibition and the things that have happened and the changes that you've seen? Well, for my case, you want me to go first? Go for it. Well, for my case, um, it's pretty unique to Humboldt County and it's, uh, you know, it's kind of why I'm here. It's it's why I'm, you know, talking to the public and it's why I'm, I'm just trying to share our stories is because it's something that could have happened to anybody in the Emerald Triangle and uh, it, it happened to me and, you know, that's okay because it, it kind of made me who I am today. And, you know, I was telling you, I was following my mom around since I was 10 years old growing cannabis and, uh, you know, I never looked at it as a bad thing. It was always something good. It was something always that helped people. And so, um, you know, I continued to do that through, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old. And eventually my parents were, were tired of living on the farm and their, their true love was for being out on the ocean and commercial fishing. And they decided they were going to buy a commercial boat and sail around the world in commercial albacore fish. And, and uh, that was where their true love was. And for me, I ended up staying back on the farm and, and taking care of the plants and taking care of the roads and the roof and the house and all those things. And, uh, Making a long story short, um, one year in 1992, I um, ended up getting in trouble for growing cannabis. And and back then, everybody was growing cannabis. So I, I really didn't think there was any way for growing cannabis and getting busted for the first time that you could go to jail. It was, I was naive or call it whatever you want. But, uh, you know, at that time, I didn't know there was a difference between state and federal laws and you know, the feds weren't, didn't have a huge presence up there, but they were at that time trying to push back on cannabis growing because it was just really out of control. And unfortunately, my real good friend and I, um, like I said, we got in trouble um, and it ended up going, uh, being charged federally. And Long story short, we ended up getting uh, sentenced according to the mandatory minimums, and we ended up getting ten years in jail for for growing for <clears throat> for growing a plant that you know I never thought could hurt anybody. And we went to court for four years and fought it, and got you know ended up getting ten years and did eight years in jail and had five years probation. So it was it was really seventeen years out of my life that I gave for this plant, and uh, 
and to find myself now um, as a permitted farm in Humboldt County and and I have my state temporary license is just really, really an amazing feeling. And being able to work with a legal distributorship of a Flocana, um, it's just been amazing. <laughs> and one of the most amazing things, and I and I hate to leave this out of the story because it's really the most important part in my life and and really about our community is that you know, being gone for that long, um, <laughs> you know, it's easy to forget about people. It's easy to let those, you know, it's, that's a long time to be away. And, and I feel very fortunate to have had a bond with this community like I did because they had never left my side. And, uh, <laughs> the day I got out of jail, there was, there was 40 to 50 people there at my house. And, uh, they really helped me get my life back in order and, and I really needed them, um, at that time then. And now that I've kind of been the leader in, and kind of forging forward in this new permitting process, you know, I just, I refuse to, to leave their side and I always want to be there for them just like they were there for me. Huh, thank you for sharing Let your story. Let me elaborate on that yes, a little bit, please. please do. When he was down here in San Francisco, ready to get sentenced, a lot of us kids, a lot of us kids, you know, and never. And how old were you at the time? Um, I was 22 years old. So we were still, you know, we were young. Yes, and we're kids. we're country, kids. we're country kids. We all drove down, packed the courthouse. There was not a single seat left in the courthouse. We had we had the presence of Humboldt there. The judge was almost crying, trying to sentence these two young boys to. The terms she did, it was, it was so rough. I'm getting emotional in the room here. It was rough. The judge said, I am so sorry to do this to you boys. They're, my hands are tied, mandatory minimums, 10 years. And we all about lost it. It was, it was one of the it was hardest things we could ever hear. They've never been in trouble. Never, ever did anything harmful. Nothing violent. It was just cannabis. And uh, that was in the Reagan years, and there was a war on drugs, yeah. and it was unfair. There were, you know, three strikes, you're out. Nancy Reagan had dare. It was, uh, they, they just had an agenda, and they made an example out of, out of Johnny and his, his best friend. It was horrible. And, uh, you know, we, we would go down and visit him in Lompoc. He was in a federal, federal camp. We would go down there regularly and visit him to make sure that he knew that we were still there with him. And, uh, you know, that's how it's been. And we're here together now. And he and Johnny has been in the forefront of this. Yes, he's he got has. he's got his farm, his small farm. And uh, he's when he decided to do this, he jumped out. He was the first to do it. And like myself, I'm, I'm coming on to it now. But I was I was skeptical if this was going to work or not. And yeah. I, I still might be a little skeptical about it. Well, but it's definitely it, it, not you know, easy, but, you know. And if we can tell our story to, and let people hear this and know what we've been through, then uh, it can validate all the stuff we've, that's happened to us. And so I think it's important, sorry to interrupt, no, it's, okay. it's important for people to know that it, it would, it, you know, this is something that happened to me and, and I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. And, you know, maybe at the time we don't know what that reason is, but maybe right now I'm figuring out what that reason is and, and having a platform to be able to share that story and be able to say, look, we would never hurt anybody. 
And it wasn't really right that we got that much time for growing cannabis. And, and the fact re still remains is that there's people in jail today for growing cannabis that would never hurt anybody. And, and that just doesn't feel right, you know, with California becoming legal. And it was, it was probably this summer that I was sitting in my greenhouse and CNN had shown up and they were, they were interviewing me about the same exact story. And it was just then that I realized that, you know, as much as I thought 25 years ago that I couldn't go to jail for, for growing cannabis or I would get probation, even today, as I sat in the greenhouse with as many plants as I had, the reality still remains <coughs> that it's federally illegal. And if the feds show up at my house for whatever reason, you know, there's a really good chance I would get life in prison. So to think that there's nothing on the line for us in the Emerald Triangle is really to mistake what is at stake. And we have a lot at stake and there's a lot on the line. So don't pretend there's not. Yes. Ah. Oh. This is so true. And is it true that like 80% of this country's cannabis comes from the Emerald Triangle? I think you're pretty close on the numbers. You know, I've because, heard that. Yeah. And I mean, because when you think about the concentration of farmers and cannabis knowledge that are located in Northern California and to know that you've had this experience and that, I mean, thank God you, I, I can't believe it's been four to five months since you've consumed cannabis. I would have so much anxiety. Mm -hmm. I would, I mean, I microdose every day for my anxiety. So like mm -hmm. kudos to you for being such an inspiration to other cannabis farmers and to be somebody that is still willing to hold the line and provide top quality medicine that still respects our farms and and plants and and water and you know and just the environment in general it's like you're doing everything right so thank you for that thank you both of you you thank know you. and that that's why i feel so fortunate and, and trell also i'm i'm sure i'm not meaning to speak for him but um to you know now that we're in the legal market you know we have to find a distributor that kind of um represents us and enables to facilitate our product from from our farms all the way to the retailer. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of different distributors out there that are willing to do it and this and that, but they all stand for something. And we were fortunate um, to be in early enough with a company called Flocana, who is a, who is a, a large distributor um, that really represents the small farmer in the Emerald Triangle and that has a lot of the same values that we do. So, you know, it's, it's been a pleasure to work with them um, for those reasons. And they've really built their whole business on the backs of the Emerald Triangle and they support us to the bitter end. Um, so I feel very fortunate to have gotten lucky enough to be part of their team. Absolutely. And now tell me about your relationship with Willie's Reserve, because I'm a Texas girl. I love me some Willie. So there's, there's nobody better than uh, Willie. We all know that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Willie, Willie's, uh, Willie himself and Willie's reserve team is just an amazing team that was was brought to me through Flocana and um, Flocana packages all their 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 product in California and that's all product from the Emerald Triangle and you know they handpick all the product that goes into their jars 
Will, I was told, I, I didn't see personally, but supposedly Willie himself tests all the product before it's given the stamp of approval. I and believe that. I kind of believe that too. <laughs> and so I, it's been an amazing journey with Locana, but it's also been an amazing journey with Willie and, and his team. And uh, their values are so aligned with ours too that uh, someday I hope to be on stage with him and, and really share what my experience has been with him and and how he aligns with with us in that way and you know but uh my product last year was it was the first year that um product was given to the oscars and and given to 50 of the biggest stars in in the world and i was fortunate to get my product in there too so you know denzel washington might have smoked some of my pot i don't know that's a great story yeah that is an so isn't that cool? That's yes. really neat. Yes. I love it. So these these are things that have been brought to the small farmers of the Emerald Triangle, that kind of platform that maybe otherwise might not have been able for me as a small farmer to be able to do by myself. So Absolutely. working with that company and being not just us, them, and this profit, but being a team and, and going through this together is felt really good. So, mm-hmm. you know, th- that's why I'm so excited about sharing. And well, and it allows that the smaller farmers to, you know, level up, so to speak, whenever it comes to, you know, fighting against these big forces. That yeah. So all of a sudden now you have big ag versus 52,000 farmers in the Emerald Triangle. Now we're on a level, level playing field. Yeah. Yes. So we have enough small farmers in our counties, Mendocino, Humboldt, Trinity, to equal some of the big monocrop commercial agriculture that's going on in Southern California. So, but ours is most, all these farms that are taken on by Flocana have, uh, you know, farms that are cared for with a lot of love. So all the products going to be premium product. So if they could source, like say 5,000 farms of premium product, that will well surpass a huge farm in Southern California that's growing in, you know, the desert. Well, and too, when you think about all of the the nuances and climate and soil and all of these things, you also get um, just a, a nice diversity of product too. And, and we're talking about. Let me clarify. We're talking. We're talking about sun grown. Yes. This is strictly right. sun grown yeah, product. Yeah. You know, and, so yeah. So. The idea of you know the indoor versus the sun grown is i think going to clear itself up but in you know sun grown is going to end up on the top because you know all of our vegetables we we buy aren't from indoor cultivation so you right. know there's a reason for that so sun grown will soon be at the top of everybody's um, preferred thing to smoke i'm sure yeah and- i mean if you don't smoke very much you're not going to know the difference but for someone who has a palate for cannabis just like someone has a palate for wine, you know, you will appreciate the better product. You will know the difference. Yeah. For sure. It's a natural way of growing. Mm-hmm. You're not artificial lighting in them. It's yeah. beautiful. So, Trell, tell, tell me your story. Well, uh, as I started off uh, earlier, my parents, my grandparents bought their farm in 77. I saw that first big cola sticking out of the corn help them uh, with that growing it through their garden. And then from there, they branched out onto other parts of their 40-acre homestead and put put small patches out in the forest, uh, clandestine patches, mm-hmm. just because of the illegality of it. 
So, you know, I helped him that next year, carrying soil on my back and backpacks, you know, carrying starts, plants out into these remote spots and help them plant. And they saw that uh, I loved it. I just loved being outside. It was it was the best thing ever. You know, you'd, you'd be walking out to a, a pot patch and you'd walk through, say, uh, you know, a berry briar and then stop, pick some huckleberries, eat them, and then keep going on your way. And uh, they saw that I really loved it. So they said, well, hey, why don't we, we'll give you your own little patch. So, you know, at 10, they gave, made a little spot, hauled out in the trees. I helped and they gave me three plants. And my, gran- <laughs> <So cool. laughs> my grandpa my grandpa helped me fence it off with uh, two-inch chicken wire and said, here's a bucket, walk down to the creek every day, get five gallons of water and dump it on it. So that's how that started. I had about a 150-foot walk down a little hill, fill my bucket up and dump it on it. But uh, let me back up a little bit. He had to teach me about how to fertilize. And back then, there weren't a bunch of uh, grow stores. There weren't any grow stores anywhere. So we sourced the fertilizer off the land. He taught me how to go around to adjoining parcels where some of the neighbor's horses were. You know, a lot of the hippies just let their horses run wild. And then the horses would, uh, you know, shit out on the land. And he said, bring the bucket that I gave you and go collect some of it. So I'd go out and collect it. And he said, bring it back and I'll give you some ashes from our wood stove from the house. And I'd mix a little bit of ashes in it. And then he said, we'll go down to the wood shop. He had a wood shop. He'd make uh, furniture and, you know, odds and end, end tables and things. And he said, grab some of that sawdust, mix all those three together and then dump that on there. But not too much because you could, you know, you could burn the plant. It could hurt it. So he showed me the first amount, how much to dump on, and I did that. And I would do that every month. I'd go out and collect the fertilizer and put it on and water the plant. And uh, that that was it. I was, I was sold. I, absolutely. So how did your first crop turn out? Well, it it was decent. You know, back then, it, it didn't have to be great. You know, there so was, d- I would say. They know that if they give a 10-year-old three plants, that the 10-year-old will get to smoke their product. N- no, I, I never, okay. I never wanted to. It wasn't okay. ever, for some reason, cause I saw them smoke. It was around. If I wanted it, I could have had it. It was sitting on the coffee table, but it was nothing, I guess. When did you decide to try cannabis for the first time? I was in my early teens, maybe 13, 14. And, uh, I tried it. I, I liked it well enough. It wasn't something I was super sold on. You know, I, I like, I was very upgoing. I wanted to go fishing and ride my motorcycle. Yeah. You know, I was always on the go and uh-huh. I found that it just kind of relaxed me a little too much. Okay. But, uh, what about you? I was, I was, my, my parents were pretty, pretty strict. You know, I didn't ever, I didn't really drink or I didn't smoke anything until maybe 18, 19 years old. And like same as trail is you know it kind of just relaxed you and i was i was a big fisherman i was a fishing guide when i was 16 so i i I got up early i was up at four every day so it was it was more about experiencing what the the environment and the land had to offer up there and that was that was got the which got me excited yeah Um, and i can't lie there was some monetary value uh aligned with it too that was nice you know yeah we could grow we could grow a few plants and uh, for me in my younger years, I I was an avid dirt bike rider, loved it. That's all I wanted to do was race and become a professional racer. Mm-hmm. So that allowed me to just grow enough three plants to make enough money to buy a new motorcycle every year. And that was super important to me. So did your parents pay you or did did they like did they make you go through the whole process? No, they helped me harvest. Okay. And then I, you know, school was in. So and I was too young to really 
you know, manicure well or anything. Yeah. So you know, parents helped me with okay. that part of it. And then, you know, after it was all done, bagged it up and then sold it. I didn't sell it. They helped me with that in yeah. the beginning. And it was because I mean, I'm just sitting here. I'm like, I got paid five dollars an hour to build fence and drive a tractor, yeah. pick watermelons. I was like, I did not have a cool job. <laughs> well, I, you know, this is what I had, and I, I thought it was cool. I loved it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how could you not? I would yeah. Way much rather done that. You know, the, our little local creek where I dipped the bucket out of had little trout in it. So <laughs> I had a fishing pole and I'd go down there and fish for little trout too. I mean, it was I- ideal. And there was, uh, you know, riding the motorcycles around with my friends. It was the best time ever. It was in the in the summer months of Humboldt County. You know, it was warm, clear. You know, spring green grass, and it would start to dry up and turn brown as the summer turned on. And yeah, hot weather. It, was, be- it yeah. was beautiful there. I'm glad that I I finally made a road trip there. I mean, it's amazing. You know, one thing that was really uh, common with families in, in Humboldt County back then, it, it was, you know, he talks about um, growing a few plants for, for purchasing a motorcycle and stuff, but it wasn't about just a monetary gain or, or, or living off of cannabis. It was a multiple of things that we did just to be able to live in the country. And, you know, my parents, like um, like Trells and many others, you know, we grew cannabis. We also, we cut firewood for a living. We had a nursery that we sold, you know, uh, supplies in later on. And, um, you know, so it was a multiple of things that we did just to be able to survive in the country and to be able to live that rural lifestyle. Um, so really it wasn't just about growing cannabis for the money. It was just for, for that kind of lifestyle and to be able to stay there. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it, that's how we were able to live there. You know, there were like my grandpa had a wood shop, you know, that he could make wood products from, you know, he was partially retired. He retired early, but, uh, you know, they would, they would smoke in the evening time. And it was just, instead of drinking a bunch of alcohol at night, like maybe some, some families experience, they would, they would smoke the cannabis and, you know, relax and enjoy and giggle sometimes and tell good stories without having, you know, a a, a kind of a a drunken cloud in your head. So tell me, so Johnny, Johnny goes to jail. Where where do you go? Do you go to college or do you stay home and just start farming? Well, I I kept farming. Yeah, couldn't can't take that out of a farmer, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I just I really really buckled down and became better at it. Mm-hmm. You know, meaning which meaning? Uh, what are you trying to say I was shitty at or what? Uh, no. <laughs> you were you were unlucky. You were unlucky. Yeah, that was a horrible situation. Actually, the, the way a- that I ended up getting in trouble, there was a, a an elderly man down down our road, and you know he uh, was friends with some enforcement agencies, and uh, you know he turned me in. And you know, one of the scariest times while I got busted was when I woke up in the morning. I, I came out my front door. It was six in the morning, and there was thirty federal agents there, and. You know, they had their guns to my head and it was just so foreign to me that this was happening. And, you know, I, I never was at one time handcuffed. Um, they came to my house, they searched my house. And at the end of the day, they left my house and they gave me a little yellow ticket, which was like a speeding ticket. And, you know, to 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 receive 10 years in jail and just to have received a speeding ticket and all this come about was just 
still doesn't make that much sense to me. But like, like I said, I, I don't like to dwell on it being negative because I believe there's every po- there's positive in everything. And so we're going to turn this into something positive and we're going to get some of those people that are spending time in jail for this and we're going to get them out and we're going to help our community and we're going to tell the world that the Emerald Triangle is special for all these reasons. So tell me, what can people do that are want to learn more about how to help people and how to, you know, because there are people rotting in jail cells right now for cannabis while I get to do a a podcast and tell stories about it. So, you know, are there some organizations that you uh, appreciate that are doing good things for people to, to help get their records expunged? Like what, how can we get involved? Well, there, there, when, when I was in jail, there was a, a company that really helped bring attention to the, things that were happening to nonviolent offenders. And uh, that at that time, it was called Families Against Mandatory Minimums. And I'm sure most of those families had, you know, family members that were in jail, and they really were proactive in bringing attention to the, uh, the crime that it was to have them in jail. And uh, I'm, I'm sure they're still operating today. I've kind of lost touch with that. And mm-hmm. maybe that wasn't that's not right of me to abandon that. But I've kind of I have so much uh, energy and, and time, and I've kind of focused on trying to help the community that kind of was there for me. So, um, well, sure, and you know, and you lived that part of your life, you, and now you're putting that behind you, and you're focusing your energy on inspiring a movement. So you've you don't have to feel bad about anything. You've, you've right. completely uh, taken care of your part of things. Right. I promise. Okay. Well, uh, on a different note, I was, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, why is the Emerald Triangle special? And, and what, why is there all this hoopla about the Emerald Triangle? And, and the, the one thing that comes to mind right off the bat that most people don't know is when, when they were eradicating marijuana, there was like always three to four to five different agencies and helicopters that would always um, do aerial surveillance and come down with baskets and nets and drop men in to eradicate the pot. And so how it always worked was they would start in Southern California and kind of work their way up the coast and, you know, the Santa Cruz mountains. Then they would end up in Mendocino and then Trinity County and then Northern Humboldt County. But at the end of the year, they always ended up in Southern Humboldt County and <laughs> really where this whole industry was created and started, I believe was in Southern Humboldt because at the end of the year, when they had to exhaust the last funds that they had, there was always five helicopters in the air eradicating throughout Southern Humboldt County. And there wasn't a day that we didn't see a helicopter or run from a helicopter And uh, one of the traditional things that we all did as family, especially in the 80s, was you were never home at six in the morning. And town, Garberville and Redway were always filled with people eating breakfast or congregating in those towns because you never wanted to be there when they showed up. So it was funny to be there in town that early and see all these people. And then once you found out where they were, you know, operating, then you could go home and hopefully it wasn't there at your place. And uh, wow. So, you know, Southern Humboldt in particular, the Emerald Triangle is super special, all the farmers and and all those counties. But for me, and of course, because I live there, Southern Humboldt has taken on a a different meaning for a lot of different reasons. And it's important to share those reasons. Absolutely. The community always looked out for each other. Like when they were coming out a road, it was like a game of telephone. They're going out such and such road 
and they turned on such and such road and then you would hear it and, and if it, the roads kept getting closer to you, you know, your nerves got up. You, mm-hmm. you started, you, you ran outside, you, you know, you'd go out to where your, your gardens were and you'd stay there and listen for the helicopter. If they're coming your way, you might want to chop your plants down and get rid of them. So they don't, uh, you know, don't eradicate them or possibly arrest you. So it was a game of cat and mouse constantly from the middle of summer till the harvest, September, Stressing middle of September. Out. It was nothing but, <laughs> but I love the heart for that game. Yeah. Being out there, making sure that you could do, do the best you can do. You know, you'd camouflage your, your plants. You would cut branches down, stick them in front of them, do whatever you could so the helicopters couldn't see. Yeah. That's crazy. So I, you have given me, uh, a tank top and a t-shirt and it's got the uh, helicopter on the back with the, you know, the no symbol. And the no helicopter symbol. No helicopter symbol. Yes. So I will walk down the streets here in downtown Oakland and people will stop me sometimes and ask me what, what that's about, what it means. So, you know, the last time I, the last time I went into Costco, I had six different people, especially early on in the permitting process. They, they stopped me and they wanted to tell stories and, that is one symbol that I, I've trademarked because that is something that the Emerald Triangle, people in the Emerald Triangle can all relate to. And it's uh, it's only them that have experienced that, that really know that symbol. And it's it, it's special to me and it's special to a lot of people because of that, because we all went through that. And it's it's still to this day when, even when we're in the cities and stuff and we hear a helicopter, if you're from Southern Humboldt or if you're from the Emerald Triangle, you're looking for the helicopter. It's just, right. it's, it's, it's PTSD. ingrained it's PTSD and it's ingrained in us. And I don't know if it'll ever go away, but, uh, you know, it's part of the story. That's, that's very true. Everyone we know at our, our age and older, when we hear that hel- helicopter, we'll walk outside our door and look up and see if it's got something swinging from the bottom of it, a rope with a basket. There was many days that you, that you heard that helicopter and you would look up and maybe, two or 300 feet in the air, there would be four guys hanging out of a Black Hawk helicopter with AR-15s looking right down on you. And, you know, it's a scary feeling. What do you do? Like, you know, this this is a plant. Come on, man. Yeah, It's ridiculous. It got to so, so intense at one point that the National Guard came in on a, on a little part of our community in Humboldt County. And that's National Guard work for the people. So the National Guard got employed to go eradicate cannabis. Oh, my God. It was bad. There it was protests where there's people out there trying to protest that. Uh, it was scary. They, you know, they were very, very good at it. They so didn't, when was that at its peak when all of that was, when it got to be the worst? Maybe, what? The, 86, 7, 8. 85 but, yeah. to 95, yeah. it was brutal. It was an everyday thing in the summer that you were dealing with helicopters, and and that is um, green sweep. That's Black Hawk helicopters. That's Met Comet um, camp. So camp. much money. Um, yeah, and and it was that's so expensive. It was a lot that. of jobs. It was a business. It was about numbers. It was about how many plants did they get. It wasn't about these people would never hurt anybody. And and yes, there's an argument both ways. You know, they could they could argue that yes, you know, people were getting stoned. It's a gateway to other different drugs and this and that. But But those but, aren't true things. So what true stuff could they say? But at the time maybe they thought that was true, but obviously they've maybe figured something out now as they legalize every different state. Well, so they are it's no the research already existed that that wasn't true. Well okay. did the war on drugs work? No. Fuck no. No. It's a joke. Yeah. So 
Anyways, um, oh, we're, right. we're pretty fortunate that we're, yeah. we're in the permitting process <laughs> now and we get to move forward and share, share all these things openly with everybody. So, yeah. And so now you are the kid in Humboldt County who keeps your nose clean and you've got the, the permits and you also are part of the, um, regenerative farming movement there, right? For sure. That's and, a big thing now. And the, and protecting the fish and the, the rivers and the lakes. Tell me about some of the the programs that y'all are involved with. So for me, it's it's really important and maybe the most important part that I think a consumer should know. And it's not about me saying that I have the best cannabis in the world because everybody is saying I got the best. And I hate when I hear that because it doesn't mean a thing because there's a lot of good cannabis out there. But I don't know if there's a lot of really good people that really care about what they're doing. And, and the Emerald Triangle has a lot of good people like that. So... The, the best advice that I could give to any consumer is to figure out who your, your farmer is. And it's easy to do. You can go on different websites. You can punch up their names. You know, if you look up Huckleberry Hill Farms or Full Sun Farm, you know, you can learn all about who we are in the different organizations that we support. You know, like each of us, um, a lot of us farmers up there, we're trying to grow one or two plants and donate it to the veterans. And thank thank God that this year, I think that uh, the regulatory process is now going to allow us to give that oh, product. Good. Yeah, I uh-huh. just heard that through the grapevine. Sweet Leaf here in, in San Francisco is kind of facilitating that and organizing that. And he just notified me that that's going to be possible. And, you know, we, we support a lot of the nonprofit organizations up there that uh, like Sanctuary Forest is a big one that protects all the, the salmon and steelhead spawning tributaries and the forests around us. Um, and, you know, it's important for all of us small farmers. You know, we've, we're really learning how to be regenerative farmers, take care of the environment. I have, particularly in my place, I have spawning tributaries on both sides of my farm. So it's particularly important that I keep any sediment from running off my property into those creeks. So, you know, I take a lot of pride in that. And, uh, Very nice. you know, and one of the permits thing. we had to get was called a waste discharge permit. So any waste that might run off, say over watering, you want to make sure that doesn't go into the creeks. Mm-hmm. So you have to be far enough away from a creek for them to even give you that. So that's just, just one little small aspect of it, mm-hmm. you know, and you want to, you want to know what practices your farmer uses, you know, Absolutely. organics is a huge thing. I think that's gigantic. You know, you don't want to have cannabis that's sprayed with pesticides. You want to have, if you do use a pesticide, you want to use a, a California legal yeah, you know. well, and of course now that we're here in a, a legally regulated market, that's not near as big of an issue because if someone goes into a dispensary, you know they're going to get clean cannabis. However, people in all these other states who just get what they can get because it's still illegal, they're the ones that are getting the stuff that didn't pass inspection. Yeah, the pesticides. Yeah. And that's going to take, you know, that goes along with, I think, educating the public, because those are things that the the public and the consumer really doesn't know yet. So, you know, I want to rush this and make it all happen and make everybody know, but really, realistically, this is going to take some time and it's going to take dedication from all the small farmers and all the distributors to educate people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, with education can come a lot better choices that we can make and a lot healthier choices. And, And real soon here, I hope that the consumer will realize that there's a choice by buying Emerald Triangle Farmer product, it's like buying Whole Foods versus, a, let's say, a, a Winco product. So there's going to be some that don't care what they eat or 
or what's in that. And there will be some that do care. And that's when we're going to yeah. be there for them. And so everyone, I want you to um, find and follow these guys on social because you really do a good job of showcasing your life on the farm. So what is your Instagram handle? Um, I'm Huckleberry Hill Farms. And I'm Full Sun Farm. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I'll include this stuff in the show notes along with your websites. And I'll look up some other ways that people can get involved and, and try to help with the uh, the other farmers who have ended up on the wrong side of the law for, for reasons that um, are pretty fucking ridiculous and how we can help them. But do you have any parting words for the audience that you want to share before we go? I do. I want to I thank you personally for giving us this platform to tell people a little bit about us and our farms and our history, because it's really important for us that people know that this is generational. We're just not new kids on the block. We've lived it from our earliest memories. And it's really, really important for people to know that because we're still here. And the reason we're here is because we love it. And I love it. So now this is all done, y'all can smoke a joint with me. Or yeah, do you we, smoke a bowl or do you vape? Like, no, no, what, what no. no. We, we, ro- we rolled a joint already. Oh, we got yeah. a pre-roll yeah. for you. We got a farmer uh, rolled joint. Right on. And, and it is it is strains that uh, Trella, my parents, had created. So um, you'll get to experience them a little bit along with, uh, with us. All right. Go get it. All right. Okay. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Part of the story I didn't get to is my grandpa went to prison. My dad went to prison. My uncle went to prison. Yeah, that's how much well, important you're be- It's for, for five years. They got sentenced to five years. They had to do three and a half years. And they got sentenced. Wait, all in the same sentencing? Like Yes, I, they all went to prison at the same time. So right out of high school, I was left to fend for my grandparents' ranch. My How parents could you not have told Why that? didn't you? Well, that was the best uh, part. I, well, we got sidetracked. We have so much stuff we <laughs> well, were talking about. Is- so, you know, it was hard to to see that, the a hardship on my grandma, my mom. And here I am just out of high school going, okay, step up. I had my gardens I took care of, their gardens, my grandparents' gardens, my parents' gardens to try to keep the homesteads functioning, you know, wow. for three three and a half years. Yeah. Now, did you, I kind of spaced out a little bit because I'm sitting here like, why didn't you uh. tell the story? Um, did you have, how many siblings did you have? One have a sister who's four years younger. So yeah, I was the oldest. I was the only one that knew how to do it. Cause I was, you know, I was following them around the men in the family. Wow. But did you do a good job of taking care of your sister? I did. Well, yeah, we, we, uh, we did okay. You know, I, I feel like I stepped up to the plate. That's gotta be hard. It was, it was scary. It's just a scary time, you know? Well, shit. I mean, when you think about from your realistic perspective, when you're saying technically it's federally illegal, I still could just open my front door and someone be there waiting for me. You know, for someone like me, it's like, oh, that'll never happen. But you're like, I never thought it fucking happened the first time. So, you know, the fact that the same exact way as I never thought it would happen. I I mean, I never thought I could go to jail, but um, but obviously we think the chances are a lot less likely because we're here doing this. You know, the, yeah. the new attorney general said, right? He said, I'm going to let the states decide. You know, that's different from Jeff Sessions' yeah. view on it. So that was, that's huge. So that's a huge difference. When he come, came out and said that, I was like, well, you know, I think the tides have turned. No, they definitely have. How do you like it? It's good. And yeah. I always love smoking joints with farmers. 
because it's like they have enough products to roll them the right size. Yeah, you know those. Pinners. It's not a. It's not a pinner, is it? No. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so good. Which one is that? That's the huckleberry. Yes. You know what? Yeah. You know what's really neat for us and a neat experience that we never got to experience before is now that um, our product is being sold through a legal distributor you know, through the retail market and through all these different dispensaries. And mm-hmm. now through Instagram, we're able to get a lot of feedback about our product from the consumer, from people that are smoking it. And we never got that before. So when you're selling it on the, what I like to say, the traditional market, which was the black market. Right. Okay. Um, all right. Fair we never enough. got feedback because nobody really cared. It was all about the mighty buck. So yeah. Really, the, this whole time that we've been doing it, it, we've we've been needing that feedback because that's what really matters. You know, it's like a cabinet maker that builds a beautiful cabinet and he's looking for that that feedback. Oh, you know, it's a great job. We've been needing that. We've been wanting that, and now we're getting that. So that you know, that's helping fulfill one of those needs that we've needed for a long time. So it feels totally. it feels good. I feel like you know, I create content in a bubble, and so it's like you know you write articles or you record thoughts or podcasts or whatever and you put this stuff out into the world and then you're like should I have even done that was that like I didn't you don't when you don't have anybody giving you feedback you can feel like you're floundering a little bit so it is always nice to have somebody to check in with well what was really cool is we were at the Emerald Cup and Flocana sponsored uh, a booth that we were at and Johnny and I worked together. You know, I worked underneath his farm with him there. And the consumer that came up, you know, would ask about the product. And, you know, my favorite thing to tell him was, I said, look, it, if you choose to buy from this farm, you're getting 80 years worth of experience. And they look at us and go like, what? And they said, between the both of us, you know, we each have 40 years worth of experience. And they look at us and go, well, and then that, that, that hooked them. You know, and then we tell more of the story and they were like, yes, I love it. I love it. Well, you know, what do you recommend for you know, nighttime or yeah. can I smoke one of your strains and function all day? And yeah, yeah, yeah. so they really, really loved that. That was a, a huge thing. Along the same lines, can I tell you a quick little story? Please do. It, it's, it's an important story that I like to tell people um, because it's a story that matters and it's a story that really made a difference in in my life and, and some other people that I was working with. Um, Flocana, like I said, you know, they, they support the the farmers of the Emerald Triangle. And so they're also trying to educate the, the consumer about what we are and who we are. And so last year on 420, they, they took me down to a dispensary and I was standing in line with um, a man that was working with Flocana and myself. And there was like 11 other distributors there yelling at the people in line that we got the best and we have the best. And, uh, you know, they were walking right by them. And it it wasn't until they got to our booth that was in this line of maybe a hundred people that I was just telling the story of the farmers of the Emerald Triangle, kind of what I had gone through. And it, it, it always seems to get really emotional. And there was a group of 30 different consumers surrounding me and Flocana and all those other distributors were around us. And they were listening to this story and not one time did we say we had the best, but all we were doing is educating them on who we were and what we were about. And you know, without a doubt, they ended up at that, that, uh, at the front of the line and asking for our product because it was something real and it was something true. And we weren't trying to mislead them or have them buy our product for the wrong reasons. So it's about doing the right thing. Yes, it is. It's true. 
Very true. It was, it was pretty powerful. And it's something that too many people, I think they do all the time is we got the best, we have the best and it's falling on deaf ears. Now people are like, yeah, everybody says that. So, well, and it just, it doesn't matter. This thing's still slow burning. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm pretty good. <laughs> oh yeah. Pat yourself. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, I can't uh, smoke anymore. Oh no. You can't bat yourself. <laughs> we got to drive. <laughs> yeah. I'm good too. Thank you. That's for you. Finish yeah. that baby. Oh, yeah, out. forget. I uh, smoke way more than both of you. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, thank you all for hanging out with me. Yeah, yeah. thank you for and Thanks having. for bringing the huckleberries. Yeah. The last time I had this was a giant monster joint at the Flocana event. Um, ribbon cutting event. Yes, you gave That's me right. One. We talked. You saw uh-huh. me speak. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was emotional, too. Kind of. Uh, well, of course that's emotional. I mean... <sighs> You know, this, the whole business of cannabis is pretty fucking emotional. You know, it is a plant that affects our body and our mood and our appetite and all of the things. And so when we're, you know, talking about honoring the plant or honoring the business or the lifestyle, like people are passionate about that shit. Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, it's going to get real. You know, I say pretty positive. It's going to get a lot tougher for the small farmer here in 2019 as, you know, the state starts charging for annual licensing fees. And uh, so it's going to, it's really going to take all of us kind of supporting each other because it, it is going to get tough and big ag is coming this way. And, you know, we're going to have to find a way to, to, like I said, educate the consumer and, and let them choose, you know, how right. we're going to move forward. Like, I want to win gracefully. For sure. Like I yes. don't want it to be ugly. Uh, I, you know, I want it to be something where people just know better than to buy that shit. Yeah, exactly. No, for sure. Well said. And if we can tell our story and the people like our story and understand how, how we go about this, I think that'll ultimately win out. And so one of the one of the most important things or one of the things that I think a lot of distributors just haven't figured out yet. And I even share this with uh, Flocana and uh, Willie's team. And um, I think it won't be long before people, consumers realize that a lot of distributors um, are saying the same thing. And so until you put a farmer and we get up to get on this platform with them and validate what they're saying with the consumer, and this is why we're aligned with those those different distributors, it's all, you know, it's all falling. They're all saying the same thing. So until somebody figures out that they need to use us farmers to help with that, um, it's going to be an amazing day when that happens. It's going to change the way this, this whole thing goes. And Flocon has given us that platform to do that. They're 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 letting us do it. Yeah. Yeah. They're great. They really are. Ultimately is a giant marketing ploy you know it's what's your story what's your hook and you know if you can't strike an emotion with a customer and like make them want to be loyal to you then you know you're not going to be the one that's chosen and Mm -hmm. a lot of people get away with flashy packaging for a while but then just making sure we just constantly are the squeaky wheel talking about how important it is to know your farmer and ask the question where does your cannabis come from? Anytime somebody offers me something, who's your farmer? Do you know where this came from? Did you buy this from a dispensary? You know, oh, your cousin grew it? Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. well, is your cousin a grower? Like, you know, find out because it really does matter. 
there's so many fillers in our food and beverages and, and it's going to be, it's being added to our cannabis. And it's too. a relatively new conversation because before you didn't know where it came from when it, yeah. you, when you got it, you know, yeah. when it was illicit, you know, you didn't know. So now you can ask those questions right? and, you know, hopefully there's an answer to it, but yeah. there should, there could be an answer because if they get it from the right spot, they'll know. Well, and I just want it to be cool to be like, oh, yeah, this is my farmer. This is the farm I use. Like people have their favorite opioid right now. Why can't they have uh, their favorite cannabis farm and cannabis strain? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, what's, what's another cool thought that I always remind myself, like when I start to get maybe veering off in a negative way is I, I really like to put it in a different perspective that there's very rarely in life do you ever have a chance to make a difference or make history. And no matter how this thing looks right now and how it's looked in the past, we are all playing a big part in this new industry and we are making history, whether or not we know it or not. 10 years from now, we're going to look back on this and be so happy that we played the roles we did. And mm -hmm. it's going to be a unique and really special thing. So I'm trying to enjoy it now as yeah. I, I go through it instead of trying to look back on it 10 years from now. You're a good, sensitive man, Johnny. I appreciate you. That's exactly what you should be doing. Savor Thanks. this whole fucking experience. There you uh, go. I, I like that sensitive. I say I some, sometimes call him emotional, but I like the sensitive better. You're always sensitive. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's stop oh. that kind of shit. Um, <laughs> but when 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 we do talk about some of this stuff, it does invoke a lot of emotion. It really yeah. does. You know what? When yeah. it's when it's true and when it's real and when it's heartfelt. Emotions are fine. You know what? I don't care. I'll cry in front of anybody. It doesn't matter. I think a good cry feels good. <laughs> I hope you appreciated Johnny and Trell's stories and the nuance and care in small farm cultivation. I hope you're inspired to learn more about the farmers behind your favorite cannabis. It's important to acknowledge that while we're free to enjoy the benefits of cannabis, there are people still in jail for minor cannabis possession. I borrowed some 2017 stats from the Drug Policy Alliance to paint you a picture. Did you know that the U.S. spends $47 billion annually on the war on drugs? In 2017, more than 1.6 million drug-related arrests were made. 85% of those were possession charges. Almost 660,000 of the overall drug arrests were for marijuana law violation. And almost 91% of those were for possession only. And although whites consume just as much cannabis as our friends of color, 47% of people arrested for drug law violations are Black or Latino yet they only make up 31.5% of the U.S. population. These stats suck, people. They're shameful. In the world I want to live, we all do our part to course-correct the path of our country. If currently illegal drugs were legalized and taxed at rates comparable to those on alcohol and tobacco— this country would generate $58 billion in tax revenue. What? Yeah, put that in your pipe and smoke it. You got your face 
fixed up nice with all those little, little If you're grateful to have legal access to cannabis, I encourage you to find a way to pay it forward. If you're not sure where to start, I'll include some suggestions for you in the podcast 73 show notes at casuallybakes.com. Help spread that farm to bowl connection by sharing this podcast with a friend. And of course, submit your can of curious question at casuallybaked.com. Or if you're a social butterfly, you can DM me at casuallybaked. Casually Baked, the podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. Will Llewellyn is editing the video version of the podcast, now available on YouTube and channel 203 on Cannabis Club TV. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create high time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, this is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and I'm the host of the Terps in the City podcast. I am a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. I'm also a hemp farmer, and I've been recently named to the list of High Times Magazine's top 100 influencers in cannabis. I'm inviting you to follow me along my journey as I move back to New York to support the adult use market there. You're going to get a chance to listen to conversations with some of my friends along the way. I look forward to seeing you at Terps in the City.